morning and happy Sabbath. I think we're, we're good. Amplify? Excellent. Um, for those who are at home, again, if there's ever any audio issues or anything like that, put it in the comments. We do have a couple of folks that monitor the comments as well. Uh, I wanted to, before we got to the Word today and pray, before we got into the Word, uh, just wanted to, to officially just, just uh, bring a message from the Wolliver family. Some of you who are not in the email may have not heard this, but our brother Gene uh, passed away last Sunday. Uh, right, right in the in the evening, right around seven ish. And um, anyhow, the, on behalf of Bertha, just want to say thank you to the church members here who have have reached out uh, for for your love and, and your kindness. We do ask that you continue to keep them in prayer. As you know, when when someone passes away, there's all this paperwork and things that they got to sort out. And so you barely have time to grieve. And so right now, while they're grieving, the family is just asking for continual prayers. Sometime in the future, we'll provide a bit more information. But for right now, pray for them, continue to embrace them, continue to reach out. And then also they did request that if you were tr thinking of maybe sending flowers or doing something like that, that, that consider being a blessing to our local school and just go ahead and, and just send funds in lieu of flowers to the school. Uh, one of the ladies singing today was, was it's our school principal. For those of you who may not know at home, you know, the Woolivers have always been a blessing to, to Christian education, have helped us out in the school many a time. And so their ministry and their legacy continues to, to live on. So thank you again. And uh, for everyone who has been so kind to the family, um, I'm going to invite you to pray with me at this time as we get into the word for today. Let us pray. Father God, there, there's, there's nothing here that I bring, but I can only cling to the blood of the cross of Calvary. Lord, you know that, that this needs to be you and not I that is speaking here today. As we open your scriptures, we never open the Bible without calling upon your Holy Spirit. So please continue to pour out your presence here. We ask this humbly. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today's message is titled, More Modern Revivals. Um, you know, there was a commercial that I, I used to crack up. My dad and I used to talk about it all of the time. In the early 2000s, I know, early 2000s is like 20 years ago. But um, it, it used to be a commercial that used to go something like this. There's a guy that's saying, hey, check out my fancy house. Hey, check out my fancy cars, plural, and my motorcycles and all of these different things. Check out this lawnmower. He has a huge ride-on lawnmower for a little patch of grass where he's just there, ch -ch -ch, you know, just going around. And I own all of these wonderful things, a boat, a yacht, a this, a plane, all of that. And how do I do it? I am in debt up to my ears. And then the commercial you know, goes afterwards with to get out of debt, call, you know, reach here, go to our website. Because, you know, there, there, there's, uh, there are people out there who is all about gathering and gathering and gathering and charge and charge. And, and then all you do is that once this credit card smacks, you get a brand new one at zero interest and you move it all over. But it's a higher, you know, balance. So you keep charging more and more. And so we just keep piling on and on. And uh, so the commercial is really funny because at first it was all braggy. And then at the end, how do I do it? I am in debt up to my ears. And so I thought about this commercial as I was looking at modern revivals because uh, 
I, I work with different people. I work with different couples. You know, right now, currently, I have a wedding next week, and we have a couple more weddings uh, over, over, over the next couple of months. I mean, in COVID, uh, we, we had babies, and we had engagements, and we had all kinds of things happening. Uh, and so, so it's a very interesting world that we're going to, to be in. Co COVID is probably pushing another whole baby boom. I, I, I don't know. But anyways, uh, but, but here's one of the things. When we talk about finances, people don't even realize the rut that they're stuck in. And so I wanted to bring that today with modern revivals uh, and, and the sermon for today because many of us, many of us, are living our lives just like that guy riding his lawnmower, doing all of those things. And how do I do it all? I am rotten and filled with sin. Some of you here have been 17, 18 generation Adventists. You're living your life. You're doing all of these things. You're just smiling and everything looks great. But deep inside, you probably don't even realize the mess that you are in. Just like people don't realize that this lifestyle of spending money you do not have and tacking on and adding on and try to you know, keep up with, with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are, but apparently they got money. You know, all of these things, it, it gets you in financial trouble. Yet in our Christian life, some of us, this whole fake it till you make it thing, it, this is not AA or NA or anything like that. You cannot fake it. You are either a child of the king or you're not. You either follow the lamb or you do not. Romans chapter 7, verse 24 says the following. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? The answer is in verse 25. It says, thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ, our Lord. I don't know how many messages you've listened to from home, from your living room, in your pajamas during COVID while churches were shut down. You know, for a while there, we were the only church open in the Tallahassee area. Some of the other Adventist churches were closed down and we opened. I don't know what you tune into to, to listen to, but have you really understood your condition? Putting up a smile is not sufficient. Riding along and just waving is not enough. Do you recognize your condition? Do you recognize and understand his grace? Romans 3.25, look what it says. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life. Shedding his blood, this sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. Verse 26 continues. It says, for he was looking ahead, including them, in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness, for he himself is fair and just. And he declares sinners to be right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. See, back in the day, the old revivals, individuals who learn about the Messiah, the Messiah is here. The Messiah came. The Messiah died for you and me. When they learn about the Messiah, their lives were transformed. This idea, and, and I hate to use the expression the good old days because we all love to talk about the good old days, and some of us exaggerate about the good old days, you know, uphill, both ways, in the snow, barefooted in Florida. Not sure how that works. Florida is super flat, but, but we, we like to do that. But really, truly, if you look at the word of God, if you look at the early Christians, if you look at those early Christians describing Revelation as the white and the pure horse, you know, that, that, that purity, they had true revival. They knew what it was to be born again. Their thoughts brought forth fruit that truly modeled repentance. 
They believed and were baptized. They rose to walk a newness of life, new creatures in Christ Jesus, not to fashion themselves according to the former lust, but by the faith of the Son of God and to follow in his steps to reflect his character and to purify themselves even as he is pure. This is how they walk. The things they once hated, they now love. The things that they once loved, now they hated. The proud and self-assertive, they became meek and lowly in heart. The vain and arrogant became serious and, and modest. The profane, reverent, the drunken, sober, and the reckless became pure. You saw revival in them. The word of God was alive in them. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. Don't, don't put the next verse up yet. You can take it down for a moment because I want you to understand something. I remember growing up in a Spanish church in New Jersey. We were so worried about how we're supposed to dress and look that we didn't change so much the inside. I told you guys before, my mom, you know, uh, growing up in Puerto Rico, couldn't shave her legs or anything like that because if, if her legs were pretty and a guy looked at them, wow, look, oh, you made me sin because you had your legs move instead of all shit. And so we were all about outward appearance. And you know what happened? We learned that half of the members were doing, getting to know each other biblically outside of marriage, back and forth and all over the place and all kinds of things happening. And you know what we did? We made good-looking Christians. On the outward, they looked like Christians, but on the inside, they were rotten. They, they played the part. They looked the part. They dressed the part, but they didn't live the part. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be concerned about what we wear. I mean, first of all, you know, for guys, it's so easy. Guys have it easy. Listen, this suit would never go out of style. 50 years from now, but y'all ladies with your dresses and stuff like that. I mean, one dress now is out of style next week, and I get it. It is hard. Also, women's body types are so different. The same dress in one person is like, whoa, and another lady is like, whoa, because, and it's the exact same dress. So, yes, if you're a modest Christian, you should follow some basic rules. If you're pulling this way or pulling this way, you probably shouldn't be wearing that one. You know, I, I, I never quite understood the idea that if you're a size for a lady, you need to go three or four sizes smaller because that's pretty. I, I never get it. I like to go bigger and baggy, and I like to have room. Even today, I'm feeling a little bit too tight, but it's cold outside, so I wore a suit. But, you know, I, I do understand that, that how we dress is important. However, it is not as important as verse 4, 1 Peter 3, 4. You should clothe yourselves instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. When revivals took place back in the day, people were brought deep into a heart searching and humility. They, they look within and, and they realize how filthy they were without God. And it made them sad. Now, I'm not talking about sad like when I used to drive back in the day and get a speeding ticket. And now I'm sad. And I, try, I was trying to find a new way to not get a speeding ticket. You know, once up at a time, there was like a, a, a radar detector that detects radars from police. But then in some states like Virginia, radar detectors are illegal. So you could buy a radar detector detector to 
to tell you whether or not they have a detector that detects raiders, and you could just get away. I mean, when I used to get sad back in the day, I used to get sad in a way that I got caught. How can I not get caught next time and get away with? No, no, it's not that kind of sadness. When these people were revived, they were sad, they were broken, they recognized their need for a Savior. They weren't sad and try to figure a way around, but they try to figure a way out of their filth and the mess that they were in. 2 Corinthians 7, 9, look what it says. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. Verse 10. For the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow, but worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Verse 11, just see what this godly sorrow produced in you. Such earnestness, such concern to clear yourselves, such indignation, such alarm, such longing to see me, such zeal, and such a readiness to punish wrong. You show that you have done everything necessary to make things right. When you've noticed how you are with God and where you stand, is it a sorrow of I need you and we need to make things right? Or is it a sorrow like I got caught? How can I find another loophole around whatever it may be? Is it a real revival within your soul or is it not? See, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. People who were revived back in the day when they heard about Jesus, they felt, they recognized their filth. They came to the Savior. They came to the Redeemer. And, and, and then they repented and they changed their behavior. You know, um, I told you that I've been doing a lot of the marriage counseling, couples, things like that. When we talk about granting forgiveness and when we talk about asking for forgiveness, in asking for forgiveness, one of the steps is to assure your partner that you're never going to do it again. When you come to Christ and you ask for forgiveness, you ask him for the strength to not repeat it. This is not like those mob movies or TV shows where the mobster who just finished murdering an entire village goes to the priest to confess. He says a couple of Hail Marys and a few of our Father in Heavens and then goes commit murder again and then it comes back and is like a reason. It's not how it works. A real change in behavior really demonstrates whether or not you are repentant. If you're just going to keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to keep getting what you've been getting. And the bottom line is you can't keep using what is called cheap grace, if you will. This was what the church back in the day understood. Today, with modern revivals, something has happened. You know, um, I love our church. My dad was asking me last week. We were at another church down south. He was like, hey, your, your camera and stuff from your little computer in your bedroom to, to that up there has changed. I was like, yeah, it's not a cheap camera now. It's, it's worth a lot more than, than my car and motorcycles. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it's a decent camera. We got the internet. We got the speed and we got all those things. But you want to know something? We need to stop worrying about don't, let me finish the statement now. We need to stop worrying about church and its ceremonies. What I mean by that, what I mean by that, 
in that same Spanish church where we were dressing the part, you know, I remember every time somebody would get up there, brothers and sisters, I didn't get to practice today. I forgot it was my day to listen song, but you know what? All for the glory and honor of God. Ah! Like, really? I mean, if it's for the glory and honor of God, you should have practiced. You should have prepared. You should have put some effort into it. It should have been a whole lot better than what that message just brought up there. You know, you can't do that. How is it that sometimes we seem to give our best to things of the world, but we put very little time in the things of God? I've seen people teach Sabbath school and they don't study. I've seen people watch three-hour movies but don't do a five-minute devotional. I've seen people give their best for everything else and, 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 and treat God like 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 a stepkid or something. I don't know. Just like a last last resort. I mean, not that you should be mistreating your, your stepkids, you know, just a public announcement there. But what I'm saying is that you, you treat God like a, ah, whatever, whatever is left. No, no, you got to give your best. But even if, even if we had one of those church stages with the fancy lights and, and a different background and all of that. Maybe, maybe when the pastor comes out, like smoke comes out, you know, like, hey, good morning, everybody. Even if we did all of that, right, and all of the fancy music and everything, if the love of God, if his character is not being lived by the church, we are failing big time. Don't you know that if Christ is lifted up, doesn't matter what the theatrics look like. I do get it. We need better quality of camera. We need faster internet so that it's not all choppy and everything else. We need good music. I get that. It's good to have the screens so that it's easier to find. I get it. I'm not saying that the music and things is not important. But what I'm saying is that it shouldn't be the only thing. This is like a, a sports team that has a shiny uniform but never practices how to play the sport. Do you understand that? We need to stop. We shouldn't worry because if the word of God is lifted up, whether or not we're doing it through good internet or not so good internet, through good cameras or grainy cameras, whether or not we have live music or we have canned music, it doesn't matter because the word of God is being elevated. A lot of churches have taken upon, a lot of the modern revivals have gone to a place of just making theatrics of things, and you feel good, and it sounds amazing, and you're wondering, you know, why are you feeling that the drums are beating, you know, you, 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 you're getting all of that. But there's nothing happening here. What that does, it makes you feel good for a little bit. It's like a false awakening. It's a light that, that just sparks a little bit. But then it dies out, and the darkness around you becomes even more dense. Do you understand that? The modern revival here is not about new technology. Look, I, I love gadgets. I love toys. You know, I, I like it. But, 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 but that does not mean that the message needs to change or omit it or water down or sugarcoat it in any way. Great Controversy 463 says the following. Popular revivals are too often carried by appeals to the imagination, by exciting the emotions, by gratifying the love for what is new and startling. Converse, does gain have 
a little desire to listen to Bible truth, little interest in the testimony of prophets and apostles. Unless a religious service has something of a sensational character, it has no attractions for them. A message which appeals to impassioned reason awakens no response. The plain warnings of God's words relating directly to the eternal interest are unheeded. 463 continues, religion has become a sport of infidels and skeptics because so many who bear its name are ignorant of its principles. The power of godliness has well night departed from many of the churches. Picnics, church theatricals, church fairs, fine houses, personal displays have banished thoughts of God. Lands and goods and worldly occupations engross the mind and things of eternal interest receive Hardly a passing notice. I mean, this was something that was written decades and decades and decades ago. And yet it was even a problem then. And like I said, there's nothing wrong with the other stuff. But if it's missing something amazing, if you are telling me that you are 17th generation Adventist, and when you run into your friends from middle school or high school 50 years later for one of your reunions or whatever or college, and they say, man, you haven't changed, then something is wrong. Then something is wrong. We need to allow God to work in us and through us for the benefit of all. We need God to have his spirit pour out upon us so that we are able to just stop with all of this. We are loving the world too much. And we're replacing the things of the world, or let me rephrase that, we're replacing God with the things of the world. Our love of God is being supplemented with the things of this world. And that's got to stop. Last quote from Great Controversy, page 464. It says, the enemy of souls will endeavor to prevent it by introducing a counterfeit. In those churches, which he can bring under his deceptive power, he will make it appear that God's special blessing is poured out. Multitudes will exalt that God is working marvelously for them when the work is this, that of another spirit. Under a religious guise, Satan will seek to extend his influence over the Christian world. There is an emotional excitement, a mingling of the true with the false that is well adapted to mislead. This is something that was seen, that was predicted, and we are living it i want i want better music in church i want better lights and everything else you know i get members here that remind me every time how many light bulbs are out in the sanctuary we do need to do that i i get it i understand that but what i want more is what's at the core i want you to walk with god don't you understand that the world is never going to believe what the minister preaches but what the church lives and with the same breath, we say, God loves you, but I don't. Or we say, everyone welcome, but not you because you don't make my checklist of things. We need to stop. We need to stop. And so what I want is for you to search yourself to where you are because there's going to be a lot of deceptions out there, a lot of false movements, a lot of things that are going to look amazing. And you know what? Let me tell you this. I don't know, Ms. Bertha, what it is to lose a loved one, but if my wife were sick and I learned that the church down the street is healing people, then, then, then I may deeply consider going to a church that doesn't teach the word of God properly, but apparently it looks like God is blessing them. But that's only an appearance. And we have to be very, very careful because even demons will work miracles. Even devils will, will, will pretend to be pastors. 
And yet the word of God says that even though they do all of these things, if possible, even the elect could be. And so we need to make sure that we're not deceived. So how do we know? Matthew 17, 16, it says, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17, even so, every good, good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. Verse 20, yes, just as, you can, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, you can identify people by their actions. Are you noticing the theme here? Come on now. Now, I don't want you to look at that other church and point fingers. Look to your life and look to yourself. Okay? How is it that you act? Where are your actions? Come on now. You can't say amen. Say ouch. Verse 21, Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, on judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name. Verse 23, but I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who practice, who, who break God's laws. You who practice lawlessness, you who break God's laws. How are you living your life? I need you to understand this. This needs to take place. Now, the next couple of verses is going to be a review from a sermon a couple of weeks ago. I'm just throwing them in there just in case you didn't listen to that sermon. Then I don't want to leave you hanging. But notice, get away from me. I never knew you. You who break God's laws, you who practice lawlessness, the law of God, the immutable law of God, including the Sabbath and other things, they, they are a foundation of the character of God. Remember when I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, the law is good, God is good, the law is just, God is good, just. This is a character-building thing. And many people think that the command are done and over with just a few Bible verses to over stress a point and then we'll move on from there so here's the review portion those who uh, were here a couple of weeks ago you could take a nap I'll wake you up in a little bit everybody else pay attention John 14 15 look what it says if you love me keep my commandments Psalm 119 45 I will walk in freedom for I have devoted myself to your commandments James 1 25 but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free is if if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to, to the tree of life and may enter to the gates into the city. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, O oh my God, and your law is within my heart. Psalm 119, 172, my tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Romans 7, 12, therefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Wake up now. That, that was the review for those who were there. But do you understand that the word of God endures forever? Don't you see that the commandments are part of the character of God, and he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. Don't you realize that the reason why these laws and these commandments are there is for our own character development. This is part of 
growth. And so true revival, true revival means a new birth, but it cannot happen without Jesus. We cannot see the kingdom of God unless we allow him to work in us so that it's no longer I, but that Christ that lives in me. Romans 8, 7, how do we respond? Romans 8, 7, for the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. How are you responding? Uh, Romans 3.20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. Romans 6.2, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? 1 John 5, 3, for the, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Do you understand this? If you were free from sin, why are you still living in it? We got to stop. This whole watered down, you know, theology of, you know what, all we need is to walk with Jesus. I used to crack up years ago, some guy named Miguel de Jesus something, a uh, Puerto Rican guy, and that's why he resonated with me. He passed away in, at the 50s in Florida, South Florida, but he would say he was the Messiah. And his thing and his followers was that as long as they're with him, they could do whatever they want. And, and, and they interviewed this, this Miguel de Jesus, he, he, called, he went by Jesus, you know, they interviewed him in a strip club while drinking with naked ladies, like, yeah, you know, because I'm here now and everything is fine and so they're okay. And, and it's like, what in the world? We keep wanting people to, 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 to feel good. It, it's, almost like a, um, it's almost like the diet pill of, of, of sanctification and redemption and healing and restoration and transformation and new birth. You know, those people who say, why can I eat all of the pizza and, and, and subs and hoagies? Uh, uh, do we call them hoagies down here? We call them hoagies? Yeah? Or is that a Jersey thing? A hoagie. Yeah, okay. Well, it's bread. You know, bread and pastas and stuff like that and cheese. Lots of cheese. Got to have cheese. You know, uh, except unless you are vegan, then you, you could have that fake plastic stuffed cheese. But anyways, I mean, but you know, why can I eat all of that? Pop in a pill and check it out. Why can I do that? We try to do that with Christianity. Why can I just live my life and then, you know, pop in one of those, listen to somebody that makes me feel good and I, I, I'm all above Christian now. That's got to stop. That has got to stop. First Thessalonians 4.3, look what it says. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. He wants to sanctify us now. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Oh, well, can he let me just, just, just a little bit? Can he let me just indulge in this little piece? No, no. Sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. John 17, 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Now listen to Paul speaking to the Gentiles, Romans 15, 16, that I may be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. John 16, 13, However, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you the things to come. I want to 
Just stop here for a moment. You could, you could take that down for a moment. Because here's the thing. As the sanctification of God works in us, as it continues, it will be seen by others. Not because you dressed apart and want others to look at your outward appearance, but because you really are a different person. You cannot, you cannot be like many people when they learn I speak Spanish or French or something like that. Oh, I took three years of Spanish in high school. Mis pantalones son amarillo. Really? That's all you learned to say after three years that your pants are yellow. You're wearing blue jeans. They're not even yellow saying that was what you got after three years. Really? This is how you treat your neighbors and your co-workers, your parents, your children after being in the church for decades? Have you learned nothing? So this is not about doing things different to earn heaven, but because you have accepted Christ, you will do things different. Does that make sense? John 8, 29. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me, for I always do what pleases him. Mm? Can't say amen. Say ash. Philippians 2.12. Dear friends, you always follow my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Are you showing the results of your salvation? Or are they nothing to show because you haven't accepted the salvation? Come on now. Philippians 2.13. Look what it says. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I used an example a couple of weeks ago of people who were getting ready for tax season and they were trying to, you know, nickel and dime God. And they were saying, well, if I did this, do I, do I have to give on this? What about that, that, that credit, child tax credit? Do I got to start giving for that? Because technically it's supposed to come later and it's like, you know, borrowing from the future. I don't know how that works out. And I said, listen, if you're finding yourself having to nickel and dime it, then don't even bother giving. It's not for you to earn something. It's a demonstration. You know, you, you do tithing just like you pay a bill in a restaurant. You do the offering just like you do a tip. How happy are you with God's service? And then you give accordingly and whatever it may be. If coming to church Saturday morning is a burden for you, then don't even bother. It's better for you to just stay home and whatever and be grumpy than come to church and bring your grumpiness with you. Yeah, I said it because, I mean, you have to understand this is you showing the salvation that you receive. This is not you earning the salvation you're wishing to attain you either have accepted him or you have not you are either living it out or you are not now sanctification is a process i get it i like to tease all of the time that god is not finished with me yet and he is far from it he's got a lot of work to do but but the joey from a week ago and a year ago and a decade ago is different if you can't say that about you then something is off then something is off first corinthians 1557, look what it says. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is a process. Second Peter 1, we're going to begin here, look at several verses of this process. But also for this very reason, giving all vigilance, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge. Verse 6, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness verse 7 to godliness brotherly 
kindness, yes, even your neighbor. And to brotherly kindness, love, yes, even Jesus says love your enemy. Verse 8, the more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that text about I never knew you? You want to get to know him, get deep in the word of God and let it transform you. Verse 9, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. And verse 10, therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. Don't you realize one of the things that I learned about, about life itself, I'm sure I'm quoting somebody, but I can't remember who, but that's okay. The idea that if you're not growing, then you are dying. In your walk with God, you're either growing or you're dying. No what ifs or but. To be alive is to grow. To be alive is to change. To be alive is to be transformed. There's something like every 120 days, every cell in your body is made new or something like that. How nice it would be if our character keeps developing and, and being renewed. It, it would be amazing. But this is important. If you're not growing, then you're dying. Revelation 21, 27. Look what it says. Nothing evil will be allowed to enter nor anyone who practices shameful idolatry and dishonesty, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It is amazing. It is amazing that when we are dealing with the, the Word of God, you could take that down. We'll do the other two in a little bit. But, you know, it is amazing that when you're dealing with the, with the Word of God and walking with God, here specifically on chapter 21, there's, there's 22 chapters in Revelation. Here specifically, he's talking about those who are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. And he's talking about idolatry. You know, idolatry, we keep thinking that it's worshiping a little chubby, bald-headed guy. But it's whenever you put everything or anything before God. How many of you are putting yourself before God? And then notice how he points out, points out those who are being dishonest. How many of you are being dishonest about your own condition? You know, just putting a smile and just, you know, on your spiritual lawnmower, making believe like everything is okay and not like you are trapped and snared by the grasp of the devil. It is time to let loose. It is time to be set free. It is time to be honest with yourselves and choose him. This needs to happen. Last two texts for today because I want you to understand whether here are the people at home. Philippians 3.13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Verse 14, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. It is time for a true revival to happen within you. I have to tell you, I, I had churches with five or six different praise teams. I had churches where I was the song leader. Could you imagine me leading in song when I can't sing? You, you've heard me sing before. And, and so can you imagine that? It, it does not matter. The lights, the show, the songs, all of those things. If true revival is not happening in you, the individual, then why? What does it all mean and what does it all matter? My God is coming very, very soon, and now more than ever, a true revival versus a modern revival needs to take place. Let us pray. Father God, we love you. And Lord, 
I, I'm not sure how to, how to develop this even more. I mean, I, I try to cut it down and cut back on text and come back on quotes. But, but everything is so powerful throughout the scriptures over and over and over. You are pleading with us, your children, your creation. I am asking, Father God, that at this moment, that this doesn't fall on deaf ears. That whoever is listening to this message today, whether here in the congregation or at home, that something awakens in them, especially if they recognize that change hasn't taken place, that they're not really born anew, that sanctified, uh, sanctified completely really hasn't happened in their lives. You, they have been sanctified, so they think, partially. But no, no, it's all or nothing. We need to surrender or not. Help us surrender to you and allow you to do what you do best, to work in us and through us for the benefit of all, to give us the will and the desire to please you and to live our lives in accordance to your will. That all of us here at home or, or, or in the church can, can say, Lord, call us, show us the way so that we can walk in it. This is my prayer in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.